Okay. Let's take the word of God this evening and turn to the Old Testament book of the Song of Solomon. And we're going to return to this portion of scripture. And I think there's something in it tonight that goes right along, really right off the back of what our dear friend Pastor Bassett preached on Sunday morning. And uh, still thinking about the words that he shared with us. And there's some very helpful things found there. Does anybody know what happened on this day in history 485 years ago? Anybody know? No? Well, maybe. But 485 years ago. Anybody know? Rach? William Tyndale was executed by the Holy Roman Empire. You know what his crime was? Translating the scriptures into the common language. That was his crime. He said, if God spare my life, ere many years, I will cause a boy who drives a plow to know, to know more of the scriptures than the priests do. That was his one goal. When he was alive, only the clergy could read the scriptures because they were written in Latin. Written in a language that no, the common man could not read. And he determined by the grace of God, he would put the Bible in the common language so that everybody could read it. Because before then, if you wanted to know the scriptures, well, you had to go to the priest and rely upon him to read them and interpret them for you, which meant you didn't really know if he was doing a good job or not. And that gave a lot of power to the Roman Catholic Church. And much of that power was greatly abused. And because people couldn't read the scriptures themselves, they couldn't see for themselves. And today we are privileged to have in our own language, in our own hands, the written word of God. In fact, they say something between 80 to 90% of the English Bible that we have today was translated mostly 80 to 90% from Tyndale's work. So quite a remarkable Remarkable man. Let me read a little bit about William Tyndale. He was executed on October the 6th, 1536. He was strangled and then burnt at the stake simply for translating the Bible into English for the common man. The charges against him were read. He maintains that faith alone justifies. Sounds pretty good to me. After 18 months in prison, William Tyndale's trial began and the presiding judge proclaimed he has been arrested for many great heresies. His chamber has been searched and prohibited books have been found in great numbers. And he has himself composed many treaties containing heretical opinions, which have been widely circulated. His charges were read before the assembly and he was ordered uh, one final time to recant. But, as you know, he would not. And therefore, they defrocked him in front of his congregation. And listen to this. He was taken outside, forced onto his knees, and then they literally scraped his hands with a knife or glass to symbolize the removal of the anointing of oil. Finally, they ripped, after they ripped his vestments, his clothes from him, they replaced him with clothes of a common lay person. And then two months later, 
On the October the 6th, he was taken outside, given one last chance to recant. And his final words, according to Fox's Book of Martyrs, was, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. Three years later, William Tyndale's desire became a reality, and the English Bible was finally placed into the hands of the plowboy legally. Quite remarkable. And what a man willing to die for this book. And we have a hard time sometimes picking it up. Song of Solomon, chapter 4. A very interesting portion of Scripture, the last section of it. We'll look together, reading from verse 8 down to the end. We looked at verse 8 the last time we looked at the Song of Solomon. Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse. With me from Lebanon. Look from the top of Amana, from the top of Shinar and Hermon, from the lion's dens and from the mountains of the leopards. Thou hast ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. Thou hast ravished my heart with one of thine eyes, with one chain of thy neck. How fair is thy love, my sister, my spouse. One of the uh, Puritan commentators mentioned that the combination of sister and spouse removes all other uh, wayward thinking about this text. Because the relationship of Christ with his bride is like no other relationship on earth. He goes on, how much better is thy love than wine? And the smell of thine ointments than all spices. Thy lips, O my spouse, draw, drop as a honeycomb. Honey and milk are under thy tongue. And the smell of thy garments is like the smell of Lebanon. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up, a fountain sealed. Thy plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits. Campfire with spikenard, spikenard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all the chief spices, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, and streams from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come thou south, blow upon my garden, that the spices thereof may flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruits. And then verse 1 of chapter 5, I am come into my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O friends. Drink, yea, drink abundantly, O beloved. We find the expression a garden several times in our text. A garden enclosed. We find a fountain of gardens. You find in verse number 16, uh, the bride speaking about my garden. And then at the end, let my beloved come into his garden. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, the groom speaking, the shepherd speaking, I am come into my garden. We'll speak tonight about the garden of your life. The garden is mentioned all through Scripture, beginning at the very start of the creation, the Garden of Eden, uh, where man, man fell, where sin entered in. We find a garden throughout Scripture as a picture of a life and of a soul the prophet Isaiah speaks about a, about your life being a garden. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse number 29, he writes this, For they shall be ashamed of the oaks which ye have desired, and ye shall be confounded for the gardens that ye have chosen, for the life that ye have chosen. For ye shall be as an oak whose leaf fadeth, and as a garden that hath no water. 
He speaks again in Isaiah 58 in verse 11 about the coming of the Lord Jesus, about the, this was the text we took one time, uh, one year, about how our light will break forth as the morning. And we read in verse number 11, uh, the, the encouragement of a garden where the Lord has ownership. The Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones and thou shalt be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters fail not. In this image, this picture, this analogy that your life is like a garden and it should be a healthy one. Now, before I go any further, I wonder tonight, is your life, is your soul a healthy garden or is it a dry one? Is it what it ought to be? Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse number 12, the prophet Jeremiah writes, Therefore, they shall come and sing in the height of Zion and shall flow together uh, to the goodness of the Lord for wheat and for wine and for oil and for the young of the flock and of the herd and their soul shall be as a watered garden. They shall not sorrow any more at all. Your soul is a garden. Your life is a garden. And you are planting, I hope, or something is growing in your life. And I hope it's the right thing. Think about a garden for just a moment. The scriptures explain in the Song of Solomon what the, what the garden or the soul of the bride of Christ should be like. What the soul of a Christian ought to look like is this picture of a flourishing life. A life that is abundantly fruitful. A life that is not just beneficial to the owner, but to others as well. Your life ought to be so rich and so full. Your soul ought to be so flourishing that others are benefiting from it as well. There are three expressions to describe this garden, very interestingly, in our text, look at it. You, you find that there are plants. In verse number 13, thy plants are as an orchard. And it says, with pleasant fruits. You've got an orchard with pleasant fruits. And then you've got, at the end of verse number 14, with all the chief spices. So our life ought to be a, uh, like an orchard, a, a multiple uh, variety of different fruits, a different graces found. You shouldn't just be known for one good thing. You shouldn't just be known for one aspect. In fact, when you think about the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians chapter 5, that is not, notice, it is not the fruits of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit. When you are living a Spirit-filled life, when you are living a life under yielded to the control of God's Spirit, you don't just find one of these things, but you find them all like a cluster of grapes. Yes, there are a bunch of grapes, but it's one. And so it is with the fruit of the Spirit. The Scriptures say the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is. Not the fruits are, but the fruit of the Spirit is, collectively, love. Top of the list. Joy. Peace. Long-suffering. Gentleness. Goodness. Faith. Meekness temperance against such there is no law in the song of solomon chapter four you've got a list of trees and a list of spices and you and you might think what's the point of all of these and we could try to uh, really get down to the nitty-gritty and try to make some sort of application from each one but it would suffice to say as a child of god we ought to have the fruit of the spirit abundantly clear in our garden 
All of them. All of it. Now I wonder this evening, before we go any further, is your soul flourishing tonight? Is there evidence that the spirit of the living God is dwelling in you? Do you remember what Pastor Bassett said on Sunday morning? We are always the temple of the Holy Ghost. We are always bearing about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus. And so as a spirit-filled child of God, living beneath the control of God's spirit, then we should find love. Genuine love. A genuine love for God. A genuine love for the brethren. The scriptures say your one indication that you have been brought from death unto life is that you love the brethren. And a love for the lost. Joy. I think a lot of Christians have lost their joy over the last 18 months. A lot of professing believers have lost all joy. But a sign and evidence that you are a healthy garden, that your soul is prospering as it ought to, is that there's joy. Peace. When everybody else is, is nervous and shaking and, and, and flipping out because of all that's happening in the world, we have a peace that passes all understanding. Because the peace of God shall rule and reign in our hearts. Because the God of all peace is our God. And the Prince of Peace is our King. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. You don't pop a top all the time. You don't lose your cool. I just can't put up with that any... No, no, no. Long-suffering means you put up with it. You suffer long. Gentleness. Is there a measure of gentleness in your life? Goodness. I like meeting someone where, where goodness is, is just pouring out of them. They're just, you ever, you ever been with somebody who thought that's just a, that's a good person. That's a good man. Someone who, who, not because of who they are, but because of Christ in them, because of the Spirit of God in them, but there's just goodness, always wanting to do good, always wanting to help. Faith is a fruit of the Spirit. Faith, you believe, you trust, you expect more. You're not hiding, cowering away somewhere, but you are trusting God. Meekness, that beautiful strength under control, that one of the characteristics of Christ and temperance. Self-control. Against such there is no law. When I think of Song of Solomon chapter 4 and the description of this garden, this is the way our life should be. The, this is the nature of a believer. This is the evidence of Christ's love and care in your life is the abundance of fruitfulness in your life. Think about a garden for a moment. And even the description, there are two ways to interpret this. Uh, the inscription, a garden enclosed. There's a way to interpret it in a positive way and a negative. We'll look at the positive now and the negative in a moment. The positive way a garden enclosed shows the careful outlining and protection. This is a garden that is owned by someone. Here are the boundary marks. And thus we can see in that the gentle care and protection of our Lord and our Savior. I read in Proverbs is a passage I've, I've read before of how uh, the, the Solomon walked by the field of the slothful. You remember? And uh, by the field of the, of the sluggard 
and it was all grown over. He writes, he speaks about um, how the thorns and the nettles had had uh, crawled up over top of it. And he took note. He saw what he took note and he learned. There was a garden where the wall had been broken down and, and because of that, the enemy had rushed in. And so there's a measure in the, in the life of a child of God. There's a measure, uh, there's a beautiful boundary of protection that is found uh, in the life of a believer. Precious. But as well, there's a negative aspect of a garden enclosed. Because a garden that is enclosed is a garden that has no outlet. In fact, the word enclosed could be rendered barred. Our Sunday school children use that word sometimes when they get in trouble. Are you going to bar me? Barred, not allowed in. Not allowed out. A very private and protected place. And in a sense, our walk with Christ is very private and very personal, and very precious. But there is a work that Christ is doing in your soul that is meant to be let out. There is a work that Christ is doing inside of you that needs an outlet. He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it. Faithful is he, the scriptures say in the book of Philippians, he the same one that gave you the will will give you also the ability to perform it. If he puts something inside of you, it's for an outworking. It's not to remain simply in the borders of the garden. And some of you have been studying God's word for years and you've been feasting on God's word for years, getting fatter and fatter by the day, but you are nothing more, as a friend told me one time, nothing more than a Dead Sea Christian. The Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because there are many avenues, streams running into it, but nothing running out. The Dead Sea is dead. A lot of life-giving waters flowing in. Nothing flowing out. And many Christians have a lot of avenues. YouTube coming in here and Wednesday night coming in there and Sunday coming in here and Bible reading here. And because they have no outlet, because they do nothing with it, they are fat, spiritually fat and selfish. A garden enclosed, a spring shut up. What good is a spring if it isn't released? A fountain sealed. One commentator said that a, that a spring that is shut up and a fountain sealed was a, as a descriptive way of saying that all of the energies of the spring or the fountain were, were harnessed for the garden. Good. How much better for it also to bless others? Not just you. And after the description of the different types of things found in this garden, we find in verse 15, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, and streams from Lebanon. We're beginning to see what she should be. And without her Savior, without her shepherd coming in, she is nothing more than an enclosed garden. Without the presence of the Savior, without the communion, the sweet fellowship of the Savior, 
then all that you have is simply selfish and used for you. But the potential, the potential is that the garden would not just be a garden, a beautiful, bountiful, flourishing garden, but the garden could be a fountain of gardens. Did you know that as a child of God, you have great potential? Great potential, not just to be a flourishing garden on display, not just for you to walk around and say, look how much I've learned and look how much I've grown and look how spiritual I am, but that you might then become a fountain of gardens, plural, that out of your garden comes many more gardens, that from you comes the the passing on of the life-giving message of Christ, that you might teach others how they should walk, that you might impart unto others what has been imparted unto you. The author of Hebrews writes and says, you know, the time has come that you should be teachers. But instead, you have need to be fed, once again, milk. You should be teaching. A fountain of gardens, a well of living waters. Reminds me what Jesus Christ says, speaking of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Out of our belly shall come forth uh, rivers of living water. This he spake, signifying the coming of the Holy Spirit. I know a lot of people who say, I've been born again. I'm a child of God. I'm a Christian. The Holy Spirit lives within me. But the Holy Spirit has never taken up residence in you just so that you could enjoy his presence alone. It's that you might be a fountain of gardens. That out of you would be a well of living water, streams from Lebanon. And in verse 16, it's as if the bride finally gets it. Awake, listen to her, awake, O north wind, and come thou south, and blow upon my garden that the spices thereof may flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruits. Would you look this way? The thing that makes a difference as to whether or not your garden will be selfishly used or used for the furtherance of the gospel in the world is whether it is yours or his. Because prior to this, it was her garden. A garden enclosed is my sister. She says, come, blow upon my garden. And something changes in verse 16. Blow upon my garden that the spices thereof may flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden. Now, can I ask you a question tonight? Is your life yours or is it Christ's? If you've been born again, it is legally Jesus Christ. You've been bought with a price. You are no longer your own. But some of you have selfishly taken the grace of Almighty God and His wonderful salvation and at the same time tried to hold on to your life as well without yielding it to Him. Without giving it to Him. Mr. Bassett spoke this Sunday morning about how Our life is not our own. We have been bought with a price. Meaning, your life was never yours anyways, contrary to what you thought. Satan, one of Satan's greatest lies is that as we grow up, we think this is my life, I'll do what I want to do. But the truth of the matter is, he has you on a chain. And you think you're free. You can't even see the chain, you can't even see the nasty devil on the end of it. And you think it's your life, that's only because he's given you such liberty to do what you want to do and sin as you want to sin, you don't realize you don't own your life anyways. 
And it's when you were born again, if you've been born again. When someone is born again, you have been redeemed, bought back, taken, snatched from the clutches of Satan. And because Jesus purchased you with his own shed blood, you no longer belong to yourself or to Satan, but you belong to him. We sing a, a, a hymn sometimes. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Beautiful, beautiful song. My life is not my own. Now that means this. If he owns my soul, if he owns my garden, if he owns my life, then whatever is inside of it belongs to him. Some people have a hard time with this. They want to partition off what they give to God. Uh, they'll give God their, their Sundays and they'll give God this, but uh, you know, maybe they'll even give God a certain measure of their money. They'll give God a certain measure of their time. But if you really think about the heart and root of the matter, like William Tyndale did, you'll recognize my life is not my own. I don't belong to you. I don't belong. I, be, I don't belong to me. I belong to Jesus Christ. I don't have a choice. They said, recant. He said, I don't have a choice. I can't. And he was burned at the stake, strangled and burnt at the stake. He realized that his life, his garden was not his, but Christ's. And she says something interesting. Awake, O north wind, and come thou south. This tells me something. For a long time, she has been an enclosed garden. For a long time, she's been protected from the winds. But now she's willing for any wind to come. She's willing for any trial to come. For a long time, she's tried to hide away from the trials and difficulties of life. But she begins to realize now it's the trials and difficulties, the winds of life that cause the precious fruit of her garden to be spread abroad. It's the difficulties in life, as the Apostle Paul once said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Maybe you can turn there with me this evening. The Apostle Paul recognized that there is something very precious about the trials and tribulations and difficulties in life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he gives this precious portion of scripture. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Christ of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Even that verse. If, if the life of Jesus is going to be seen in you, there must be a dying. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Come north wind, come south wind, because in doing so, it will show the whole world that there's life and fruit in my soul. You know, when, when the sun is shining and everything's going just fine and dandy, that, that doesn't show that you're walking with Christ. Anybody can walk with Christ when everything's going well. What I have often found is when things get tough, that's when you find out who really is walking with Jesus. When things get dark, when things get challenging, when things don't go the way you think they should go, then you really find who really has given up their life to Christ. Because often when things get tough, people take their life back. Often when things get tough, when the sun is no longer shining, as Bunyan spoke about how religion is walking in silver slippers while the sun is shining, everybody loves to be a Christian then, but when the rain comes and the ridicule comes, then people go running. 
so then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. Now watch this. For all things, speaking about these troubles and these distresses, these perplexions, the persecutions, the cast down, all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. Here's what happens. When the winds blow, then all the chief spices are spread throughout the land from your garden. Before that, nobody knew about the chief spices and the excellent fruits in your garden. But when the winds of tribulation come and shake your garden, then the whole world says, what? Beauty has come from that soul, from that life. And the scriptures say in this portion of scripture, right here, that the abundant grace, that's all of those, the aroma of those spices pouring out of your garden at the time of difficulty. The abundant grace through the thanksgiving of many, many will say, that is amazing. Praise the Lord, they will say, and it will bring glory to God. Can I ask you a question? What glory does it bring to God if your garden remains closed for the rest of your life? What glory does it bring to God if you keep all of the graces of God locked up behind a cupboard with a key so that nobody knows about it? You say, but what if I make a mistake? And What if I, if when the winds blow, they blow all of my spices away? What about the trials and tribulations? What if they damage the trees? Do you not think that the husbandman is able to repair and fix and replenish? Have faith in him. Is your garden yours or is it his? Let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruits. I am come in to my garden my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. My, my, my. Because we belong to Christ. And then, eat, O oh friends. Hear the voice of Christ say, after a life that is totally yielded to the Savior, totally dead to self, totally surrendered to the ownership of Christ. Listen to Christ say, this is my beloved in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Christ Jesus say that uh, we have ravished him with our love. He, he is pleased with our love for him. Listen to him then say, come and eat, oh friends. I wonder, is your life producing anything that could nourish the life of someone else? Is your life producing anything that can help the soul of another brother or sister? Is there anything in your life? Are you right now being used of God to feed hungry souls, to help the discouraged? Or are you an enclosed garden? Eat, O oh friends. Drink, yea, drink. Abundantly, O oh, beloved.
It's amazing because there's a refreshing for you. We sometimes think the more we give, the less we have. That's what we think, naturally. If I've got 100 pounds, well, if I give 50 pounds, and I don't have as much as I once had. So therefore, we limit our giving because we think that if we give a, a little bit, then we can keep more. But the opposite is here. The more you give here, the more you are refreshed. The last thing he says, drink abundantly, O beloved, speaking to the bride. After he has been blessed by your life, after the brethren have been blessed by your life, there remains a, an abundant drinking for you. The Lord has made it. He has designed the Christian life so it, the more that you give him, the more you surrender to him, and the more that you are used to bless the brethren, the more that your own soul is nourished. That's the way it's designed. We think so differently, don't we? And therefore, we try to keep back so much. When if we would only give, it shall be given unto us. You know the verse, give and it shall be given unto you. Speaking about being a fullness of measure, pressed down and running over. It's not talking about money, that's talking about your life. You want a full life? Give your life. You want a life that's overflowing? Then give more. I wonder this evening in closing, is it your garden or is it his? I want my life to be his life. He quoted, Pastor Bassett quoted Galatians chapter 2, which is one of those passages that the Lord used instrumentally early in my ministry. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but it's not me living, but Christ liveth in me. Either you'll live or you'll die and you'll let him live. What's it going to be? Either you keep your life and it never really becomes his, or you surrender all, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. It's more than a song, my friends. It's an expectation. I'm crucified. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me because my, my garden has become his garden. Has your life become his? Or are you holding on to it? Doing what you want to do. Living how you want to live. Giving how you want to give. Give your life to him completely. Because very soon it'll all be over. Very soon it will all be over. And as the old song says... I wish I had given him more. By and by, when I look on his face, I wish I had given him more. Is it yours or is it his? I hope it's his. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank thee for all that Christ has done for us, for all that you have done for us. In our doing, even now, we pray that we might recognize that we have been bought with a price. That our life no longer belongs to us, but it is thine. 
Help us day by day to die to self and surrender to thee. May my garden become thy garden. May my trees become thine. May all that I have and all the potential there be totally, completely, wholeheartedly yielded to thee. Placed in thy hands. Help us, Father, to hold on to nothing but to let go of it all. That glory and honor could come to thee. We pray that there might be something in our lives that might please our dear Savior. And something in our lives that might bless the saints. And help us to trust thee. That consequently, we ourselves would drink abundantly of that wellspring of water. That fountain of living water that's springing up from within. Help us, Lord, we pray, even this week, to be a blessing to others. For we ask it in Christ Jesus' name and for his sake.